morning, Village Church. Uh, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's a little rainy day, storm watch. Uh, I'm really glad we all made it in. Uh, this is one of those days where if you're not from California, you make fun of us, and that's fine. Uh, spent a few years in another state. We get it, okay? We had better years here in our state, and we welcome you here. And there's a brutal world out there today in California, okay? So, um, man, I'm glad you're all here. Glad you're all here. Okay, it's freezing. It's windy. It's rainy. We made it. Uh, This Advent season, we're uh, looking at Christmas through the lens of history. This morning, we're calling it The World in Need of Christmas. We're going to open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 8, and we'll consider the, the heavy reality that Christmas is not just a season or a story or a nice event that took place, but rather that Christmas was a necessary step in God's salvation plan for his people. God knew it was necessary, and so he ordained it to take place. And it was prophesied about. Not just that the Messiah would be born, and not just that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, but that the Messiah would ultimately suffer and die on a cross. And so we begin in Mark chapter 8, and this is speaking about Jesus, no longer a baby, but a man teaching his disciples. We'll read this first verse again. He says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So Mark chapter 8 is not your typical Christmas passage, but we consider it as we consider a world in need of Christmas, and it will be our passage this morning. All of your, your standard go-to Christmas passages, your Luke 2s, your Matthew 1s, those are very widely accepted by our culture. They can be read in public, and most people will not be angry. In fact, if you had some time last week, you could sell one of your kidneys and buy a ticket to Disneyland, and you could head over to the Disneyland tree lighting ceremony, and you could stand on Main Street in Inside the park of Disneyland, and you watch an hour-long Christmas ceremony that includes a full orchestra playing Joy to the World, a candle processional walking down Main Street while singing Hark the Herald, a full choir singing O Come All Ye Faithful, O Come, O Come Emmanuel, Angels We've Heard on High, What Child Is This? And then a public reading of the entire Christmas story straight from the Gospel of Luke. That was Saturday, last Saturday. And even if you're like a raging atheist trying to squeeze by the crowds to get to Space Mountain, you have to admit, it was kind of nice, wasn't it? Kind of sounded pretty. Most people in our culture have accepted the basic Christmas story passages. They're down with the lights and the gift-giving of Christmas, the Coca-Cola commercial with the polar bears that they bring back every year. Even the nativity scenes on the street corners are kind of cute, right? Like, like the Jewish corner has the dreidel, but we have a baby, and he's cuddly. People love that. And so culture has found a way to maintain peace about the what of Christmas. Christians can say, God came as a baby, and the rest of culture can just say, yeah, God 
came as a baby. And we just kind of move along and we get along for a whole month. But this morning, our, qu- our question is not the what of Christmas. Our question is the why of Christmas. And we see clearly in Mark 8:31, Jesus declares his mission very plainly to his disciples. The Son of Man must suffer. And it's not long after Mark chapter 8 here that Jesus will suffer on a cross and he'll be crucified and hanging on the cross in his dying breaths. He cries out in John chapter 19, it is finished. So soon he'll be saying it is finished, but here in Mark chapter 8, Jesus speaking about the cross, we see this word must here, and in the Greek, we could translate it like this, it is necessary. So soon he will cry out, it is finished, but in this moment, in Mark chapter 8, what he's saying is, it is necessary. There's compulsion in the language, it must happen. And it's not to be translated as some sort of destiny or fate. We don't read this as, Jesus was destined for this moment, the universe has chosen this man for the job. We read it as, this is the mission of God, appointed for the Messiah to accomplish Hebrews says that Jesus, for the joy, went to the cross. It's not fate or destiny. It is purpose and determination. And so the cross is necessary. We ask, when did the cross become necessary? Did Jesus arrive on earth as a baby and then later come to realize that the people were buried in their sin and in need of a savior? It's not what we find at all. The purpose that we find for the birth of Jesus is revealed immediately. And the Bible's full of all sorts of mysteries. There's passages we can read where we don't fully understand it, but this truth is very clear. I was putting my seven-year-old daughter to bed uh, two nights ago, and I asked her, how did the animals fit on the ark? This is a mystery. Was there a section for the panda bears and the koala bears? And I said, or do you think there was just one section that said, cuddly bears and they just kind of put them all in one place and she fell asleep with a big smile on her face thinking about that and so did I (laughs) some things in the Bible are a mystery to us but the mission of Jesus is not one of them and we actually look now to Matthew chapter 1 here's a regular Christmas passage for those of you who are already upset at me Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Here it is. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the angel comes to Joseph, and he's like, Hey, bud, you're going to want to grab a seat. Your fiance is pregnant. Don't blame me. Take that up with God. But the reason 
The reason is he's going to save his people from their sins. The mission was established. The purpose, it was established. This was a, a round-trip ticket. There was a purpose from the beginning. It was not a fact-finding mission. It wasn't a journey to discover Earth and ask a few questions. How are they doing? They seem to be getting along. I wonder if they could use a savior. And then it just turns out that we were wicked in our sins. <laughs> the mission was predetermined. Jesus came to save his people from sins. He came to reconcile us to God. Because without this, all of us are destined to spend eternity in hell. And the prophecy that flows through the Old Testament, that the Messiah is coming, it continues even into the New Testament now when the angel promises to Joseph that Jesus would be born to Mary. And for what purpose? Verse 21, to save his people from their sins. And so the necessity of the cross is made clear before Jesus is even born. And so we could say the foundation of Christmas is the necessity of of the cross. <clears throat> this is clear for us because without this we're dead in our sins. Where do we find this maybe most clearly? Look at Romans chapter 5. And follow me with, with this. Starting in verse 17. Paul says, For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, he's speaking of Adam, speaking of the garden much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. We're all condemned in Adam. And yet, in Christ, we can all be justified and have life. That's Romans 5.18. Last year, there was a study done. 2,000 adults in the United States. They asked these questions. Do you believe that humankind is inherently good? 81% said yes. They said, do you believe that you are a fundamentally good person? 75% said yes. You take a survey like that, <clears throat> you can see how the world gets Christmas so wrong. A good person doesn't need the story of Christmas as we see it laid out in Scripture. A good person might need Jesus, the inspirational teacher. The good person might enjoy a cute story about a baby born humbly in a manger. A good person might enjoy Jesus, the light of the world, which just meaning whatever I want that to mean. <laughs> when we believe we are good, when we believe we have no debt of sin, then the real story of Christmas cannot make any sense, and so we just change the story. The point of Christmas is about coming together. It's about joy. It's about family. It's about a celebration of life. And Paul goes on in Romans. We get to Romans chapter 6. Look at what he says here, starting in verse, <clears throat> verse 1. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Again, death to life. People love saying Jesus gives life. But we don't always define it. You say Jesus gives us life. It's so cool. It's like the good life. Food and good drinks and good energy and positivity and family and fellowship and laughter. Jesus gives us life. It's not what this means, right? That's not the life that he's saying in Romans. What Romans is saying is Jesus gives us life from death. This is not life improvement. It is rescuing us from a path of destruction. It's not the addition of good things, family and food and prosperity. It's not the subtraction of bad things, bad health, broken relationships. It's the substitution of life for death. It's plucking us from the road to hell. We're dead in our sins. Our minds are set on the things of the world. We've all been born once. The story of Christmas is about a people who need a new birth and can receive righteousness. And so we consider, again, this idea that Jesus says, it is finished. But he also said that it was necessary. He says, it's necessary that I must suffer, and when the suffering reaches its pinnacle end, he cries out, it is finished. And if this was really a rescue mission, as the angel claimed it was, coming to save his people from their sins, and the rescuer in his final moment says, it is finished, and the question is, what is the it that is finished, right? It's the substitution. It's the substitutionary atonement for our sins, Jesus dying in our place for our sake. And so we've been in Romans, we've been in Matthew, but we go back to our passage for this morning. I'm going to keep moving in Mark chapter 8 and finish up these verses here. Look at verse 31. After Jesus says that the Son of Man must suffer, we'll read it again and then we'll get to verse 32. It says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And look what happens in verse 32. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's a good Christmas passage, I think. I think what we see really clearly here is that we cannot set our mind on the things of God if we do not believe in the necessity of the cross. The necessity of the cross is the foundation of our Christian faith. Yes, that is true, but it's also the foundation by which we understand the human condition. It's the way that we look out at the world. We see a world that needs the cross. Not just a world that needs a good story about a baby. Peter believes the Messiah has come 
all is well. And Jesus declares in verse 31, no, the Son of Man must suffer and be killed. All is not well, simply because the Messiah arrives on the planet. Peter's perspective here is too narrow. What he's saying is, look, the the Roman government is sort of oppressive. Jesus has come. He can clean that up a little bit. Life is a struggle, and and the wealthy are oppressing the poor, and, and the Messiah has come. He can clean that up a little bit for us. I've seen you doing miracles, so things are going to be good now. I know you will, and that's why I know everything is okay. Son of man doesn't need to suffer. And Jesus is saying, Peter, if your mind was set on the things of God, if you understood this world, if you understood the kingdom of God, you would know that everything is not okay just because I'm here. If you're here this morning, whether or not you believe in Jesus, we all... I think we all see, we all know, we live in a broken world. It's full of evil and greed and selfishness and brokenness. But unlike so many belief systems that say, the solution for all of this is inside of us. We must bring out the good of our hearts and restore humanity. Christians open up the Bible and we see Jesus saying, no, the brokenness and the sin is in all of us. Jesus says, I came to pay the price for that sin. So you could be restored from the inside out. The brokenness that Jesus came to restore, it's us, it's our hearts, it's our selfishness, it's, it's our sinfulness. So often we see the typical heart of men and women on this earth apart from Christ. We are like the foolish Pharisee who prays, thank you, Father, that I'm not like those others, the sinners. (laughs) And Jesus arrives on the scene and he disagrees strongly with that prayer. (laughs) Jesus arrives on the scene, he says, Merry Christmas. Uh, I figured maybe someone had made a graphic for this, but turns out nobody had, so I had to make it myself last night. Jesus arrives on the scene, he says, Merry Christmas, you are the problem I'm here to solve. so the heart of Peter in this moment is the heart of our world today we want God to show up in our world not going to argue with that great idea Jesus you came at just the right time because I'm here you came to my city I mean things are going well I cannot, cannot disagree with this plan so far come into my world But then it goes to, I just need Jesus to clean up a few things in my world. And I've already identified a few key areas (laughs) in need of fixing for you. I want to address something here I think probably gets skimmed over most of the time in churches. You can imagine why. It's this idea that Jesus calls Peter Satan. (laughs) Get behind me, Satan. The ultimate Christmas passage. I'm as guilty as anyone making light of this phrase, you know. You go to the OC fair and someone offers you a deep fried Twinkie. You say, get behind me, Satan, right? (laughs) Or your kid says they want to do a craft that involves glitter. (laughs) And you say, that's right, 
you're driving home and your wife wants to stop at Home Goods and the husbands say, <clears throat> that's right. Mark chapter 8, verse 33. It's always felt like a really powerful moment. It's intense. You could say it's dramatic or you could say it's extreme. I don't think you should call Jesus dramatic, though. I would assume that he's just right down the middle, you know. I don't believe that Peter was possessed by Satan in this moment. Perhaps Satan was influencing the sinful heart of Peter, his selfish desires to speak these words to Jesus. And the temptation for Jesus was real, right? We know that. That's, that's real. Or most likely, Jesus just simply knows that the words are themselves a temptation of evil to turn away from the plans of the Father for the Son to suffer. I'll just say this. When you look at a world that believes that it is doing good enough, when you look at a culture that believes, you know, maybe God is helpful for a few areas of my life, or a culture that mostly just wants peace and comfort and wants everybody to get along, or a culture that believes God would never want us to experience pain or suffering, God would never want anything for me except for me to achieve my dreams and my goals and my desires. I want you to hear this this morning. This is not incorrect theology. This is not immature theology. This is not foolish theology. What we see is this is demonic theology. This is the allure of Satan. This is a gospel without a need for a cross. Peter is saying, look, Jesus, we don't need suffering. We don't need the cross. We are good to just enjoy life with you. You don't need to die to give us life. We are fine. Things are going to be so much better with you and your power. I think you could say this about our world, that of all the false gospels being preached today, this one is spreading faster than anything else on this earth. It is the gospel of a Messiah without a cross. It's a twisted understanding of the cross. It's a twisted understanding of Christmas. It's a twisted understanding of Jesus. Because first and foremost, the, the gift of Christmas is not the presence of Jesus. The gift that we receive, first and foremost, at Christmas is not simply that, that Jesus came. It's not just the power of Jesus, that he can do what he wants. It's not the ability of Jesus to fix things. People say the gift of Jesus, Christmas is that Jesus came as a baby. No, the gift of Christmas is that Jesus came as a baby on a mission. And when he was in the garden praying to the Father and asked the Father if there was any other way, and then he stands up and he says, let's go. And the mission is still on. The mission is to the cross, to his death for us. That's why John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, he looks at Jesus, and there's a whole lot of things that you could say when you get to see Jesus face to face. He could say, behold the creator of the universe. He could say, behold the king. But instead, he looks at Jesus and he cries out, John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So it's behold the Lamb. This is not baby Jesus. This is adult Jesus walking 
John the Baptist sees him and says, Behold the Lamb for the world. And so for a world in need of Christmas, the mission of Christmas, the why of Christmas, it was always about sacrifice. It was always about the Lamb, the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. So I want to say for us this morning, I just want to encourage you for a moment for this Christmas season. When you, when you consider that your creator came to earth as a baby for you, I hope you see a really powerful picture of God's posture toward you. That God is not simply high up in the heavens looking down on you, wondering why you can't get your life together, why you're broken, wondering why you can't fix yourself. Of course, when Peter tells Jesus the cross is not necessary, Jesus calls him Satan. But Jesus is not arguing with Peter about whether or not we must die for our sins. He's arguing with Peter about whether he must die for our sins. There was so much work to be done to save sinners. It was such a heavy burden to bear, but he took it upon himself. It is not ours, and it will never be ours. Praise God. Amen. There might be a lot of things about your life that you want to fix. There might be a lot of areas of sin and struggle or just sadness. Jesus bore the weight of your greatest need. You have been resurrected into new life with Christ if you are in Christ. So you have Christ to face now the things before you today. You can say confidently as God's people, Christ is mine. Have him. God looked down on us with compassion and in love. He came to us in lowliness. I hope you see that this morning. Second, I don't know what heavy burdens you're carrying in life right now, but I think it's really clear that the Christmas story for us should be a great encouragement. That the God of the universe slipped into this world in the quiet of the night as a baby. And yet most of the world had no clue what was even taking place. Every year at Christmas, I like to imagine this kind of a funny thought that I like to wonder if maybe someone in Bethlehem went to bed that very night and prayed to God saying, God, I just don't feel like you care. I don't feel like you're near to us. I don't feel like you're doing anything in my life. Not knowing that in that very town, that very night, God had arrived in flesh, like a humble explosion into our world, leaving his throne of heaven and entering earth because he did care, because he does see us, because he does love us. And we all walk in here this morning and we've got a bunch of things that we carry, things we're worried about. There's a lot of things we carry in this season of life. You could close your eyes right now and you could think of something that you're facing that would cause you to just want to run out of this room in tears or in worry, anxiety, fear. And so maybe a few simple questions for us in this Christmas season, we'll put them up on the screen. <clears throat> First, do you believe that God is working beyond what you can see? 
Second, do you believe that God knows what you need? And third, do you believe that you can trust God this Christmas? The things that you face today, the things that you don't even know you will soon face, God knows these things, he's already working in these things, and he's with you, he's on your side. The thing that kept you from God has been taken care of. It was necessary, and it is finished. And while you're scrambling to put all the pieces of your life together, God sees, God knows, he's working, he's providing. (laughs) While you're asleep, while many were asleep in the town of Bethlehem, God was working. So I want to go just a little bit further in Mark chapter 8 as we finish up. Verse 34. It says, Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? It was necessary for Christ to die in sacrifice in order to purchase your life. And now our response as God's people is that we surrender our earthly lives in sacrifice. As God's people, we don't just reflect Jesus at Christmas by being joyful and generous and happy, lighting trees. We also reflect Jesus by radical sacrifice, by being willing to pour ourselves out for the sake of others seeing Christ in us. The Christmas season is incredible. There's lights and beauty and music and emotions. You can go into Walmart and hear songs about Jesus. It's very strange. And you're not in like Nashville, Tennessee, Walmart. You're in like, that's just year round there. This is Orange County, California, Walmart. What a great season to fix our eyes on Jesus, to help others fix their eyes on Jesus. Maybe you look at your calendar in December and it feels like I mean, yeah, David, I'm definitely going to be losing my life this Christmas, but it's not for the sake of the gospel. It's for Christmas shopping and work parties and family obligations and school dress-up days. Your kid pulls a paper out of their backpack at 9 p.m. that they were supposed to give you three days ago, and it says, Mom, I'm supposed to dress up like a reindeer tomorrow. And if every kid in the class doesn't dress up like a reindeer... We don't get to have a Christmas party. And every family has to raise $700 or they will print the parents' photos out and hang them in the school. This is Christmas. And I get it. And it's hard to get to December 25th without feeling like you dragged your lifeless body across the finish line. And so every year in Advent series season, we just... We stand up here and we plead with you, as hard as it can be, do what it takes to slow down this Christmas season and to set your heart on Jesus and to help others do the same. Some of you are parents in here, you have children. Some of you are grandparents in here, you have grandchildren. What's it gonna take to slow down and help them see Jesus this season? And maybe the Christmas season can be full of mixed emotions for you and sadness and difficult family things or memories from your childhood and 
Maybe you're missing a loved one or wishing you were married or wishing you had children. Maybe the songs aren't as joyful for you. I don't know everyone's story, but we do open God's word and we see clearly that God has written the ultimate story that defines us and our worth and his love for us. And so I pray this year you could feel the strength of God to say, I can't change everything about the past. I can't control anything about the future, but I can give God today, I can give God this season, and I can work to see more of Christ this Christmas. Amen? Good news in this. Some good news this morning. To a world in need of Christmas, God orchestrated exactly what we needed. And God continues his work today. He sees his people, he knows his people, he loves his people. He's not distant, he is near. (laughs) And so, you're gonna spend a whole lot of the Christmas season with your family, in your car, in Target, on Amazon.com. But more than anything, Village Church, let's spend Christmas season with Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, we just believe and we declare what your word says so clearly, God, that you knew we needed you. Christmas is a gift for us. You came humbly for us. And so, God, may we believe deeply that we are a people in need of you. You're our savior. May we reflect the joy that we have found in you in this Christmas season. May we calm our hearts in this season. May, may we help direct our, our children and grandchildren, the people in our lives, to see more of you at Christmas. And we're just grateful for you, God. We thank you that you've come. Thank you that we get to rejoice and sing songs to you in this Christmas. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.